Episode number 263, The Curse of Success with Seth Muse. Let's do it. This is the definitive podcast for helping you plan, create, and execute dynamic worship experiences at your church. Useful, practical content in the areas of production, worship, communications, first impressions, and more. This is Making Sunday Happen. Hey guys, welcome to Making Sunday Happen. Thanks so much for hanging out. This week, I welcome back my friend Seth Muse to the show. Seth was here last week, and we talked all about how to make your worship experience last all week long, how to repurpose your content to get more legs out of Sunday. Seth offered some really practical ideas for doing that, so be sure to go back and check out that episode if you missed it. This week, Seth and I will be discussing the curse of success, so how success as a church or ministry can actually breed things like laziness, uh, arrogance, confusion, and other things. So we'll dive into that topic today. We're going to dive right into my interview with Seth, but first, this week's episode of the podcast is sponsored by our friends at SALT Conference, and my friend Luke McElroy and the team at SALT is providing an incredible virtual conference this year. So here's a little word from Luke about this year's event. Check this out. Hey, 1230 Media Community, it's Luke McElroy from SALT Conference. We just announced that this year we're going virtual for the first time ever. So SALT 2020 will be an online experience that anyone can tap into from anywhere in the world. You can register and get your ticket at saltnashville.com. But don't worry, there'll still be all the great speakers like Andy Minio, Nikki Lerner, Joseph Sojourner, Glenn Packiam, Brady Schreer, Stephen Brewster, and countless others. Take a look at all the details and we'll see you this October at saltnashville.com. Hey guys, this week I welcome back Seth Muse. Seth served as the communications director at Hope Fellowship in Texas. He's the host of the Seminary of Hard Knocks podcast, and uh, we've enjoyed uh, getting to know each other, uh, spent some time together um, uh, just a little bit ago. You heard the interview last week on the podcast. Seth, welcome back. Thanks for hanging out again, man. Hey, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me again. So uh, you recently wrote an article, a blog article on the curse of success. And I know this comes from personal experience um, of being a multimillionaire. And then uh, I I know that's why you went into (laughs) ministry uh, was for the money. It is Uh, lucrative. It is a lucrative business. (laughs) I mean, it is. I mean, if you really want the money, you go into youth ministry. Student pastor is where the money lies. Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> All right, we joke, but uh, get us into this topic. Uh, tell me why you wrote the article and how it came about for you. Well, sure. It's um, man, it's a lot of experience. It's it's conversations I've had in in a lot of different churches and church spaces, and I've worked in small church and, and large church as well. You know, been in the 150 uh, person church and then the you know 10,000, 14,000 member church, and I feel like this is a common theme that I've just noticed over the last 20 years that whether you're big or small really doesn't matter. We have this kind of mentality of when things are, uh, that things, when things are going well, um, there are some, some things that come with that, the kind of the dark side of success that can creep in and eventually topple us. And the more success you're having, the higher that fall, right? If you're not careful, from, from some of these things that can creep in and really kind of erode all the work that you're doing and, uh, and cause you to eventually stall out. 
and and it's really unfortunate. But it happens in in small churches, large churches doesn't really matter. It's just kind of when the leader has the perception of things are going well. These are some things that can happen that I've noticed over the years that can kind of uh, success can breed some negative you know effects. Yeah. So you talk about the 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 company Kodak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so t- tell me a little bit about why you use that company as an illustration and, and how that company kind of sunk. Yeah. And, and Kodak's still around, but they're not doing what they used to do. I mean, back, I remember right. when I was in high school, I took a class called photojournalism and my job was to take Kodak film to the mall to get developed. And so I, we had open campus so I could look and just go do that. But, um, Kodak was, was the behemoth of photography in the early 90s, late 90s. And they had built this empire, huge company, lots of money coming in. They were the name in print and and film and, you know, in in photography. Um, They didn't really make cameras, I don't think, uh, but they definitely did everything for the camera, right? Um, But no, they did make cameras, didn't they? They did. I don't think it was super... Popular, but yeah, yeah, they make those little ones with the little flash cubes that you'd get, right? And Polaroids and stuff like that. They definitely did the the disposable cameras. That was their big thing. They made the dispose. I remember I had I took those to like church camp. Yes, you always buy a disposable camera for church camp. Yes, with the little yeah, little wind up in the. It was fantastic. It was a camera inside of a cardboard shell. It's like a cardboard camera that you take to get developed. It's awesome. I take two or three of those. Um, I think there's a Friends episode where when Chandler and Monica get married, they have to go find all the disposable cameras. That was what Kodak yep. did. Yeah. But um, what the reason I use that company is because they had this employee that came in and Kodak actually invented, they had an employee invented the digital camera. And, and, and a lot of people don't know that because now they're not a player in the camera world. No. Not at all. You know, you got Sony, you've got Canon, you've got mm-hmm. Nikon, you've got these ca- these companies that are. That's the kind of camera you want to buy if you buy a camera. You don't buy a Kodak camera. So why did nobody pay attention to him? Well, he, they didn't pay attention because I think they thought that was not going to be a thing. I mean, plus the camera he made was eight pounds. You know, lug that around. You know, it's right. like the technology is there to make digital images. Uh, it would get onto this cassette, and they had to put it in this player that would sew it on TV. So it was clunky. But they missed the future of like, wow, we can create digital imaging that if we get this technology and work on it, we can create better images uh, and eventually get to the point where it competes with print. And nowadays, you know, beats it, you know, and, yeah. and you can get better photos digitally than you can on, on paper. And so, um, you know, it was just this failure to see the future because they were so big and doing so well with what they already had. They were like, why do we need to do this new thing? Yeah. We've already, we're already the, the king. Why do I need to improve? So how does this relate to the church? What is the curse of success? Well, with the church, we can look at our programs. We can look at our ministry strategies. We can look at communications. We can look at um, just kind of how many people are coming and, and feel like we're doing pretty good. <clears throat> this is what we wanted to have happen. So cool. Let's just keep this going. Mm-hmm. And, and we get into this manager role rather than a visionary leader role. And I think that success um, can make us feel like we've kind of, I, I don't know what it is, man. Uh, I think sometimes I, I know I find myself doing this. I have to make myself stop. And it's hard to, hard to realize when you're doing it. We don't work for the purpose of not working eventually. 
right? We don't, we don't work so that someday we can not work, you know? And I think that's kind of what we sometimes think we're doing. We're trying to work to a point in our churches where we don't have to, where we can, where we don't have to do anything. It just runs itself. And, right. and I think there's an element to that you, you can strive for, but at the same time, if that's the only goal of work, then we lose the drive to improve, to reach more. And, and here's the thing that mm-hmm. keeps that, I have to keep focus and, and pastors do too, is that if you get comfortable like Kodak did, you, you, you get your, your take, you take your eye off the ball. And the goal is reaching people for Christ. That never gets old, right? Until yeah. every person is a believer. And unless they're not, we have work to do. Yeah. And I think that when we are thinking about our ministries and how we're doing this and what, what we're offering and what we put money into and how we're doing, what we're doing in our services and how we're, you know, leveraging technology, all those things, there's always something we can look at. Do we need to do this? Should we do this better? Should we do this other thing? And, you know, if we're not hungry and keeping that in the forefront, we get really uh, complacent and because we're seeing some success and things seem to be going well. And I don't feel like I need to do anything different or new. So I want to walk through because you made some great points here, what success breeds. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want to walk through a few of those and uh, man, they're great. In fact, I can relate to your story. Um, I've served at, um, at, at, three churches on staff. One was a very, very small church. Um, and then two larger churches, mm-hmm. a church of about 15,000 and then new spring, which was running 25, 30,000 on a weekend, yeah. um, a few years ago. So, um, so I can definitely relate to, to your story and kind of, and, and see these things. Um, all right. So let, let's hit on the first one. Success breeds laziness. How, how, yes. Why do you see that? It's kind of what I got into a little bit already. Uh, jump the gun. You know, you've you've worked really hard to get all this done. Yeah. And now, um, you know, we we want to just let it work. And it's like my job is to keep this going, mm-hmm. and that's not your job. Right. If you're in leadership, your job is not to just keep things going. It's to keep things going forward. Right. And 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 I think that if we think about going forward, sometimes that means, you know making some tough decisions, but, um, we don't really want to have to have those conversations, you know, or we don't want to really work harder than we already are. I think most pastors would agree. We feel like we are stretched thin as it is. Yeah. And so our mind, and this is Donald Miller's story brand. You can look at mm-hmm. all this, but mm-hmm. he, he studies the brain. He talks about the brain and the brain's purpose is to get us to use less energy, less stuff, you know, going on so that we can have a, a cleaner, more streamlined thought process and I have to work super hard and um, you know, we're naturally kind of bent that way. And I think that if we let that take over, we get lazy and you know, it's like we had, you know, six baptisms this year. Well, great. Let's try to have 12 next year. You know, yeah. it's like, why don't, why don't we think about that? And I know a lot of churches right. do, but that's the kind of mentality you, you need to have in everything. So right. we have, you know, some things going on on social media, like, for instance, measure the things that are important, you know, like how many, not just how many comments and likes do we get or how many followers do we have, but how many conversations did we have about scriptural things or how many stories did we get from social media this year that we used in video? Right. Let's try to get four more the next, next year. And, and so you, that changes your content there to try to get that, you know what I'm saying? It like goes towards the goal. And I think that laziness is, is when we go, we're just going to do what we've been doing and, and try to keep that going. So tell me about uh, people who might be um, 
kind of visionary or or looking to improve on things, but they but because they're not managing the norm that <clears throat> I, I think a lot of a lot of times in churches uh, we use this term all in. Are you all in? And if we're not doing the you know keeping up with everything, managing it, we might be and maybe we're we're off tinkering with a, yeah. a vision. Um, yeah. Uh, how as a leader can I see that as you're not all in? How can I reverse that and see that as they might be um, experimenting or or vision yeah. casting? You you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I mean, as a leader, if you have people in your staff that are you know that seem to to not be like the cheerleader you want them to be, you have to think about why you want them to be your cheerleader. Um, do you need someone telling you you're doing great, or do you need somebody that's looking at how you can do it better? And I think that that's a valuable asset because when we think about all in, um, that looks different for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, like your all in looks different than my all in, you know, because it has to do with how you're wired, what you care about, what your role is, uh, what you're good at. And to, to, it's kind of like the old Einstein thing. If you tell a fish, if you judge a fish based on its ability to climb a tree, it will go through its entire life thinking it's stupid or it's inefficient or whatever, I forget what the word is, but it's that same kind of principle. You can't look at people through your own lens when it comes to being all in on the vision. And I think that we, we try to have this uniform look because that's easy for us. That's comfortable for us as leaders to get everybody looking the same, doing the same. Um, and you know, when you've got a guy like this guy at Kodak, that's off in this basement tinkering around with this stupid digital camera that we're never going to use, blah, blah, blah. That's not a waste of time. You have to look at that and go, is there a future there? Is there something valuable there? And, you know, maybe they're onto something that you just don't know yet. And I think that in this digital world, this comes into the space of online church. Like, I don't know that we've nailed down what that looks like yet, but I think there's something there mm-hmm. that we should be thinking about and having conversations about that we should look at how is this ministry? How can we expand this? instead of just streaming your service. I mean, there's got to right. be something else to that. And I don't know that we've really nailed down what that is, but right. you've got some people in the in a back room of your church maybe dealing with this and thinking about it. And just because they're working on that and you don't think that's valuable doesn't mean it's not valuable. Right. Don't dismiss them so quickly. Right. Don't dismiss yeah. that. I mean, be open. That's part of being a leader is that you have to gather all these thoughts and ideas and see which is best. Not not simply weed out what you don't personally gel with, you know, right. that's, that's very narrow. That's a very narrow view of, of, uh, of what you're supposed to do. How can success breed arrogance? Um, success is, is arrogance because, well, here's the thing. Um, when we start talking about what's better, that is a relative term. And, you know, I think I heard Michael Lukaszewski say this at a, that church conference a couple of years ago. He goes, he said, better is an opinion, but uh, uh, what did he say? Uh, measure, something else is measurable. Something is measurable. Oh, I'm going to screw that up. I'll screw that up. I don't, I don't remember what he said. But basically, he's trying to, his quote was he was trying to say that it, better is a, a relative term. But when you use data and you can measure it, then it's like that's not an opinion anymore. That's fact. It's mm-hmm. like this is how we can improve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think when you're looking at data, it has to be part of the decision-making process for what it is you're doing. 
Um, you might be seeing some success, but if you don't understand why you're having that success, or uh, then you won't know how to have more of it, right? And, and I think that if you're having success on the weekends, you're having people come, you need to figure out why that is and do more of that. But if you don't have data to back that up and show that, then you're going to go with just what you think, what you feel, what you experience. And I, I noticed this, like a lot of leaders in my experience, and I've done this too, you, you talk to people, two or three people, they say something, they, they might say something similar, all three of them. And so it causes you to go, well, that must be the truth. I talked to three people that I know, I might trust them. Right. So that's what we're going to do. I was in a meeting once where somebody mm-hmm. said, they um, <clears throat> were playing this big event. And somebody said, we're going to, uh, what we're going to do for decorations is we're going to create these big balloon things because people, everybody loves balloons. And I'd heard several statements that day. So I probably didn't handle this very well. And it just set me off. But it's the statement of everyone loves this thing that me and three other people love. And that's why I think that. And I'm so right. sick of it. And I go, who, who loves balloons? Who loves balloons? Who are you talking about? Name the people, you know, I'm like so mad. And so, yeah, I kind of blew up in a, in a meeting, but it's, it's that, that mentality of, I've just, I think this is right. I feel this. I've talked to some people. So I'm going to assume that everyone does. And so when you have that kind of atmosphere and you, and you don't think about data, all we're really talking about anymore is your preference versus mine. Right. And when it's your preference versus mine, whoever has the hierarchy, leadership authority is going to win every right. time every time because all we're talking about is preference yep i was serving in a uh consulting a church and the <clears throat> the pastor uh i was asking the pastor some things about the worship experience and what what people um you know people's preferences or whatever and i, w- I was saying i'd like to do a survey um mm-hmm. of the congregation to know what they like what they dislike, what we need to improve on, that sort of thing. <clears throat> and the pastor said, uh, we're, "We're not going to do that." I I get people send me emails, and yep. here and here's what everybody is thinking. Like, mm-hmm. well, pastor, can I do a, a survey? No, no, no. They they email me directly. Well, can can you forward me those emails? No, 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 no. They they come they come to me. And this is what everybody's thinking. Yeah, that is arrogance. Okay. That's arrogant, right? <laughs> That's arrogant saying right. that I'm going to... So you won't let me go after the the hard data of getting information from hundreds of people. Right. You're going to take the word of what you what's uh, tickling your ears in, in emails of people that your small circle. Right. Okay. Because there's people right. that will tell you what they think in a survey that will never email you. They will never right. talk to you after the service. They will never call you, text you, right. and you will never have their understanding. And honestly, most people are like that. They really just kind of stay out of it. Right. Um, and in my Especially experience, if it's a I, dislike. Yeah. It, they either it, going to stay out of it or maybe anonymous. Well, I think uh, if they, if they don't like something, they're more likely <clears throat> to tell you about it than if they do like something. And that's so true. that's true. When we, when we have three or four people telling us they don't like something that drives us towards this one other thing, that may be what most people dislike. They just didn't tell you because they like the other thing you were doing. Right. You know? And all right. And it could, or it could be the same people. Music's too loud. It's so loud in here, man. Mm-hmm. It's loud. Okay. Same three people are coming up to the booth every week. Right. You know, this might not, uh, you know, but if the pastor hears that or somebody, we need to turn it down. Yeah. 
Oh, okay. I was, so the three man. people told us <laughs> that it's too loud, but hundreds of people are are fine with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you have 50 different people telling you it's too loud, that's one thing. Right. But if you have right. the same two or three people saying it's right. too loud every week, right. that's a totally other thing. Now, on the flip side of that, sound guy, we need to be open to the hard data mm-hmm. and be open to the change. So I'm not, I'm not advocating, you know, I'm not just slamming pastures here. We need to yeah. be, uh, you know, cognizant no. of that and change if the data supports it or whatever. No, dude, once I, when I was, I was once a tech director at a smaller church, 400 or so. And I remember there was an elder that stood at the back with a, asking for decibel meter readings all the time <laughs> of how loud this thing was. I'm like, it's safe. You know, it's like there's, we've taken all the precautions we can, man. We're in a room that's full of cinder blocks. Why don't you give me some money to put up some, some foam padding so I can right. damper this place. Right. You know, it's like, you, you, I can tell you what to do. I told you what we needed to do. So, um, but it's, it's this idea that um, we don't need to listen to the majority or, or we don't need all this data because we're the leader. Right. And we'll just make the decision. Right. And that, right. that's arrogance. This is, and, and, it's, it's in my way, this is what we're going to do. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. like, you, you may have somebody on your staff or on your team that thinks that way, that thinks like, because I always say data drives good decision-making. And I think that you have somebody on your team that's very data-driven, that's always going, well, this isn't quite what you do. I think how you respond to um, data that doesn't reinforce what you think already or feel is a test of, of your leadership and in those places. Yeah. Yeah, it it really is like, how, how do you handle it? Basically, you're asking, how do you handle it when you're wrong? Mm-hmm. Because if you've got 100 people and 85 of them tell you the band sounds great, volume's great, 10 of them say, we don't really care, and five of them say it's too loud, those five are the ones you hear from every week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's annoying, but that does not mean that they are correct. Right. You know, it's like, that's your job as a leader. Your job is to say to those people, hey, I got it. Thanks for letting me know. We think it's fine. This is the way we're going to go. Yeah. Basically, you're telling them, hey, you know what? Shut up a little. Right. You know, <laughs> it, it, we don't need to hear this every week. I got right. it. You know, we're not agreeing with you. And it's because we know that this volume has a purpose and we have, you know, we've talked about this as a staff and we have people that are okay with it and people like whatever. You know, it's like you've got a back to, you got something to fall back on right. that is concrete. And I think right. that is important with decision making. Good. Okay, how, how can success breed confusion? Let's talk about oh, confusion. Man. It can breed so much confusion, especially when things are going well, because everybody gets excited and they all start thinking, oh, you know what we could do? You know what we could do? That'll work. Be, Everything else wouldn't works. Awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if we mm-hmm. fill in the blank? You know, and it's like, you've got, and that's great. You want to you wanna have to pull people back rather than kick them in the butt to go, right? You want people, sure. you know, that you have to pull back. But you have to also kind of guide that and if you've got, um, you, you'll have somebody say, oh man, you know, Facebook groups are working. You, we'll start a Facebook group for our moms. And you're like, okay, great, cool. Who's managing that? What, how's it going to look? What kind of content? You know, it's like, we just want to start it. And so what if that's not really what you're focused on? And, and I use this example um, when I talk about this with like young adults. Let's say you've got a church of 10,000, but you've got 15 young adults that are really active and volunteer. And someone says, you know what we need? We need a young adults minister. Now at a church that size, you probably have one, but let's say you don't. Um, we need a young adults pastor. But you just dropped your mission and vision for the year and you're like, we're going to go hard 
in local missions. Now you're looking at your budget and going, do we need to spend money to staff a position for 15 people now that could grow into 50, maybe even 100 people? Or do we need to take that money and put it over here in our missions funds and get those going and hold off on that? See, that's when your success is like, man, we could do these things. It's not about what you should or shouldn't do. It's what you can and can't do. Right now, you've got success. You can do this thing. You can launch this new ministry. You can staff this position. But where you have to come in as a leader is go, should we do that? Mm-hmm. You know, because again, that, that keeps the vision and goals of your church in the forefront. And, you know, you have to say no to things like that. And if you allow all that stuff to go forward, it creates not only confusion for your people, but I thought we were all into missions. Why are we doing this big event for young adults? You know, mm-hmm. like, why are we giving away a car? You know, <laughs> you know, when I'm when we're a church, you know, that's a confusing thing. Right. And you ask, people will start asking that question and then they stop trusting you with their money. They stop trusting you with, you know, telling them what we should, we shouldn't do. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that happen. And, and it's your job as the leader to keep the vision in front. And you have Good. to do, sometimes you have to say no to things to say something, to say yes to something better. No is okay. Good segue. Tell me about the power of a no. Man, it protects your team, protects your vision, protects what God has asked you to do. Um, if you don't say no, and especially if you can't hear no, um, you're not going to be a focused force for you know what God is trying to do in your community. Um, you're going to be very spread out, very spread thin. And I think a lot of times pastors and leaders and churches, at least my experience, what I felt, when I feel spread thin, it's because, you know what, I'm literally spread thin. I, I, I need to say no to things, get things off my plate. And sometimes it's not about just delegating. Sometimes it's about killing it. Mm-hmm. It's just kill this ministry, kill this thing that we're getting. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I recently stopped paying for um, my email services because I found another one that would work for me for the amount of people I have on my email list that I could pay 50 bucks for a lifetime. And I was like, well, is it as flashy as the other one I was using? No, but right now I don't have a ton of money coming in. So I've got to say no to this thing I like better to do something that I to do something else. You know, it's like you have to be able to say no to things. And if you're a leader and you have somebody that says, Hey, I, I hear your idea, but I don't think that's the best idea. You need to see them not as a wet blanket or as a uh, a no person or a negative Nancy on your team or whatever. They might already be ahead and and on board. They're just trying to figure out how you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. And they're going, what you're saying right now, I hear you. I want to help you make that happen. But you know, there's some obstacles I don't know that you've thought about yet. How are we going to get past these things? And, and that's important. You need people like that on your team. You don't need to see them as someone that's not on board or all in. As we right. Said right. I think that it's important for team members to understand this too, that I need to be able to accept a no graciously mm-hmm. and trust that my leader might be actually protecting our team yes. or protecting the, the vision. And he might know some things that I don't know at this particular time. He might have been in meetings or or whatever that he knows where we're going. I don't. Um, at, at, yep. It might trickle down at some point, but I don't have that information yet. And so I need to trust him that he's he's protecting. Um, yep. You want to speak to that? Yeah. And I mean, 
even still, I mean, voice, voice your opinions, you know, but at the end of the day, like leaders need to listen to the opinions. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, even though you've said no, you might, maybe, maybe you were wrong, but mm-hmm. if you've got an employee that's fighting you pretty hard on something, I think you need to figure out why. Right. Maybe, I mean, rather than just, you know, hard no, but at the same time, that employee has to be able to go, I, I was heard. They said, no, we're going forward. You know, right. and I think that's important. Right. So um, that's a conversation, you know, and it's a conversation you have to have with, you have to have that open dialogue with your employees, with your boss and, um, and be able to trust that both of you really do want the same thing. You want right. people to come to know Jesus right. and you're just trying to figure out the best way to do that with the resources and people you have. It's not that you think I'm an idiot or I think you're an idiot. It's right. that, well, I want what you want. I just don't know that that's the best way to get there. Let's try to figure it out. And, you know, when you get into leadership, one of the things that most, uh, at least I, I'll say, I'll speak this for me. I had to unlearn this myth that once I get to a certain point in leadership, then I'd be able to do whatever I wanted to do. You know, that doesn't happen ever, nope. ever. There's varying degrees of it for sure. Some people have more ability to do that than others. Those people that have the ability to do kind of whatever they want, that's never healthy. That never turns out well. You don't want that. So when you are in a position where no is not an option, that's that's actually a toxic environment. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last one. How can success breed a yes man atmosphere or environment? Well, I think that's the toxic environment. I think that it, it, yeah. it is a yes man environment. It's where everyone feels like they have to say yes to everything. They have to lead right. with yes. I don't know how many times I hear that phrase, lead with yes. Well, that means let's try to make it work. Let's be, but we got to be realistic. Sometimes we need to say no. And what gets really tough is when your boss is saying, do this. And you're like, this is really not a good idea. At some point you have to, you have to say, okay, I'm doing it and decide I'm just going to do what they asked me to do. Mm-hmm. And I've said what I can say, et cetera. But if that's always the case, like the, you never have it. I mean, the boss always vetoes you. You have a toxic environment where really what they want is somebody that just says yes to everything. Mm-hmm. And that's not healthy. Mm-hmm. And you have to decide then, can I live with this or do I need to get out? Right. Yeah. Uh, Good. All right. So how can we learn from Kodak? Uh, to not let success be our downfall? I think you have to stay hungry and hungry for the right thing. And what Kodak didn't do is they didn't look to the future. They thought they had made it. What we're doing is fine. We're not, and especially, and they're just a company trying to make money, right? We are trying to save souls from the pit of hell. That's something we should always stay very hungry to do. And, you know, for me, it's, man, part of the reason sometimes I do tend to rub people the wrong way is because when, when, when it comes to like comparing, that's what we're trying to do versus you just don't like something. I could care less whether or not you like it. I care less if I like it. If it makes this goal happen of getting people connected to Jesus, let's do it short of sin. You know, I think that's, that's the, the mentality of that's, that's a tenacity of, of, of yeah. what we're doing. Right. And I think that a lot of times what I notice is that when we get into a position where we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from people who are on board with what we're already doing, we go, well, let's just keep doing that. That's easy. And I think that's what Kodak eventually did essentially yeah. did is they got very comfortable being who they were instead of looking to the future of what's next. 
And, right. you know, cause we live in a forward time, time does not stop. Right. That, that's one of the attributes of God. He goes, he always has been, but he always will be, you know, so he's always in, yeah. in motion towards something as well. And, uh, you know, there's, there's something of that in us that we have to always be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Especially awesome, man. Well, t- tell us how we can uh, keep up with you. Uh, well, first of all, thank you for all this information. I love how your mind works. Um, t- tell us, uh, t- tell us how we can keep up with you and, and get more insights from you. Um, just come to sethmuse.com and you can find everything I do there. Um, I, I write articles and podcasts and, uh, have the company and even some yeah. silly t-shirts and stuff. So you know, I know I love your retro stuff, man. We can, uh, we definitely connect on the, uh, thanks. Are you a big gamer? You a big yeah. video gamer? What's uh, your favorite video say, game? I wouldn't say I'm a gamer in the sense of gaming. I do enjoy video games. I have a few that I like. Um, probably my favorite video game of all time is on the original Xbox and it is called Knights of the Old Republic. It is a Star Wars role player. And I gotcha. love it. <laughs> so Star Wars definitely the best uh film franchise. You're you're heavy into Star Wars or there's other franchises that you that you dig? Star Wars is definitely my favorite. I, I like a lot of others. You know, I'm into the uh Lord of the Rings and you know, any any kind of fantasy kind of thing like that. Gotcha. I, I'm just I'm big into that. I love Harry Potter. I don't care. Right. Just I really like all those kinds of like fantasy world type things, yeah. and uh, it's just that's just me. Yeah, awesome, man. Well, pleasure getting to know you, and thanks for being on the last couple of weeks. Really appreciate it, man. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Hi, this is Ben Stapley, and I'm excited to be hosting the 12:30 Media Roundtable. This is going to be a conversation with leaders from large, medium, and small-sized churches. We're going to be talking about how to make a transforming worship experience and looking at it from a number of different perspectives. The best thing about the conversation is we're going to be talking about what has and what hasn't worked because oftentimes we learn the most from our mistakes. So join us the first Friday of every month when it drops at 1230. The show notes for this episode are available now at makingsundayhappen.com. For more free training to help you transform the worship experiences at your church, visit 1230.media forward slash training. That's 1230.media forward slash training. There you'll find blogs, podcast episodes, books, links to the roundtable that Ben just mentioned, Ben Stapley, uh, and other resources to help you with every aspect of planning, creating, and executing your worship experience. Next week on the podcast, I welcome an old friend of mine to the show, author and evangelist Nate Bramson. And here's a quick word from Nate on what next week is going to be about. Hi, guys. Nate Bramson here. I want to encourage you to check out the next episode of the Making Sunday Happen podcast. Join us as Carl and I discuss a subtle yet very lurking danger which is hitting our local churches and impacting our worship experience. I call it pedestal Christianity. What is it and how is it impacting the church? Well, please join us. I look forward to seeing you there. 
Nate is a great friend of mine. We go way back. Uh, he uh, travels the world sharing the gospel with those who need it. So uh, very interesting stories. Uh, next week, you're going to love hearing from Nate. Uh, and I'll also share an interview with my friend Phil Battle. Uh, so he is uh, going to share some practical tips with you as well. So that is next week on the show. Both Nate and Phil will be on the podcast. Well, thank you so much for joining us uh, this week and every week on the show. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, Lots of people are finding us. uh, New people are finding us each week. So if you're new to the party, welcome. Thanks for being here. If you need anything at all, feel free to call us. 910-849-1230 is our phone number. 910-849-1230. If we can help with anything at all as it relates to your worship experience, media content and training and how you plan, create, and execute your worship experience. We are right there for you. Uh, So please reach out. Uh, You can call us again, 910-849-1230, or you can reach us on our website, 1230.media. Well, guys, thank you for being here. Go out there and create some incredible worship experiences this weekend. I'll catch you next week. Making Sunday Happen is a production of the Ministry of 1230 Media. For show notes, archive episodes, and more free resources for your church, visit makingsundayhappen.com.